Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in this ministry. May he be with you and us tonight, uh, which to date may be the one of the most or the most significant night in the history of Mormonism and American Christianity. Our program tonight has been written in response to uh, and or in anticipation of two things. First, it has been written in response to the fact that our supposed Christian nation, who claims to know the true and living God, has attempted, made a concerted effort in an attempt to elect an active Mormon for president and or in anticipation of the fact that they have been successful in this effort. But first, some business. Uh, join us Sundays at the University of Utah at either 10 a.m. or 2.30 p.m. as we go verse by verse through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to www.campus with hyphens in between the letters uh, .com. And if you ever listen to AM820, congratulations. If you don't, you should. Best Christian radio program in Utah. On Sundays, they replay Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2 p.m. Check out AM820, also known as The Truth. If you've watched this show for any length of time, um, you know that we wholly support uh, a group called Transitions, which is an extremely well-developed Christian tool that uh, can help churches as they uh, seek to integrate people from Mormonism into the body of Christ. You can get all the information you want about Transitions at www.mormontransitions.org. Also last week, uh, I learned that they are replaying segments of Transitions right after Heart of the Matter on Tuesday nights, so stay tuned to see what that is all about. Speaking of churches, there's a church out in Eagle Mountain, Saratoga Springs that you might want to check out with your family. Faith Community Church at 3535 Ranches Parkway. Uh, Suite 5 uh, is in Eagle Mountain. Sundays at 10.30 they meet uh, till about 12.15. Great Heart for the Lord. That is a predominant LDS area, but there's this Christian church out there that's standing pretty much alone, and we know there's a lot of LDS people in the Eagle Mountain, Saratoga Springs area uh, wondering about Christianity, wondering about Mormonism, so check out Faith Community Church there on Ranches Parkway, Suite 5. Some of you have noticed that our websites have been lagging behind a bit. We're backlogged a little bit. The reason is we've lost our very capable and adept webmaster, Micah, and have since hired a new company out of Michigan to take his place. As a result, there's a bit of a learning curve we need to get through. Thank you for your patience. We want to publicly thank Micah, Micah for sharing his uh, vast talents with Aletheia Ministries over the years. Bear with us as we transition into this new IT relationship. Before we go into uh, the word, uh, how about a very appropriate song, none other than by Woody Guthrie himself. Man. 
think that was a very fitting song, don't you? Uh, considering everything that's going on, considering what we've been promoting on the program. Love that. Thanks for getting that ready for us, Cass. Uh, listen, uh, at campus, we, uh, we really try to focus on the Word of God. That's uh, the church that we do up at the University of Utah. And so our worship, uh, for the most part, is singing uh, the Word of God put to music. And so a while back, we decided we were going to introduce our study through the Word of God uh, by um, uh, playing uh, uh, the first run-through of a verse for you. So is that ready yet? Do we know? It's ready. So let's start, and you can hear it tonight. Romans 5.19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. we got kind of a swingy, country, folky thing going on tonight, don't we? Listen, uh, tonight we're in John 17.3 where Jesus says very plainly, and this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. What a verse. And this is life eternal. What is life eternal? This is, that they might know thee, the only true and living God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Faithful viewer Michael M. out of Pennsylvania, a former full-blown pagan, uh, who is now a full-blown born-again Christian, wrote in and asked a great question respecting the election of an LDS president. He asked, When the nation joins our new president on Inauguration Day and the prayer is offered, who is being prayed to? No longer will God be blessing America, but the Mormon Heavenly Father who was once a man. I might as well just build my, up my old altars again for as much good as that will bring us. He then adds, I wonder how many Christians are thinking about that when they pull that lever. It's a good question, Michael. What does Jesus mean here in John 17, 3 anyway, when he actually attached knowing the true and living God to eternal life? The word for know in the Greek here is gnosko. And what it means in this context and in this setting is to absolutely know the true and living God. Not a pagan God made from man's imagination, not a glorified man or a figure cut out of wood or stone, not a multi-headed God, but the true and living God. Describing him in 1 Chronicles 16.26, it says, For all the gods of this people are idols, but the Lord, the Yahweh, made the heavens. Numbers 23.19 says it plainly. God is not a man. Jesus said in Matthew that the Father is not flesh and blood. And in John, he says plainly that God is a spirit. Hebrews calls the true and living God invisible. And throughout scripture, he is also called or known as a consuming fire. Isaiah 44, 8 says, Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Deuteronomy 4.35 says, Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, and there is none else beside him. Isaiah 45.5 says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee that thou hast not, know, that thou hast not known me. 
that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Those who know him understand these things about the true and living God. And when people really truly know these things about the true and living God, would they ever promote or embrace or uh, suggest that anyone who follows after a false, dead, imaginary God, um, would they ever promote such a person? Would they? I, I, I'm not sure. Did you? Tonight, today, right now, at this very moment in time, people who claim to know the true and living God and Jesus Christ to whom he sent have promoted and endorsed a man who ardently believes, seeks, and proselytizes to the world a God who was once a man. We have a graphic for that. A God who is in a glorified body of flesh and bone. We have a graphic for that. A God who has a father, who has a father, who has a father. We have a graphic for that. A God who this man believes is of the same race as he is. We have a graphic for that. A God with a capital G who is just one of many acceptable gods to this man. And a God whom he will be just like if he lives up to his temple rites and rituals. We have a graphic from that by Brigham Young. How have you, who might be watching tonight or will watch later, how have you gotten behind this man? How do you justify your actions? I mean, really, especially knowing full well that to endorse him is certainly going to help promote the doctrines he believes in to innocent, unsuspecting people all over the world who have yet to meet the true and living God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, someone told me today my prayers to you at the beginning are phony. And uh, Lord, you know my heart. So we pray to you that you will hear our voice and you will open the eyes and ears of uh, people who watch the show so that we can, uh, from this point forward, make decisions that are based on you, Lord, the true and living God, and not the fallen men and measures of this world. We pray for those who are helping, the volunteers, the staff, everybody in, in listening audience. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I announced that we were going to return to our examination of the Book of Mormonian tonight. Sorry. Next week tonight is just too important. I want to open up the phone lines right now, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820, uh, so that you can call in and, and you can tell us about uh, your thoughts about what is happening in this nation tonight, this uh, very important night and day in the Mormon Christian debate. Tell us why uh, you have supported someone, who, uh, whoever you have, and how you justify that as a believer. I'd love to hear it. While the operators clear your calls, I want to talk to you just for a minute. What I'm about to, real, uh, to reveal tonight is not uh, conjecture or speculation. It's not some A&E program that what if or, or do you suppose or could this have happened. It's not based on unseen documents. It's not based on myth. This is history. Uh, and listen, 
philosopher uh, George uh, Santayana, he said it very well. You're familiar with this quote. He said, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. All right? I can assure you that the history I'm going to share with you tonight will be repeated in some form or another because evangelical leaders in America today have not taken the time to remember Mormonism's past and where it came from. In July of 1840, Mormon founder Joseph Smith said, Even this nation will be on the very verge of crumbling to pieces and tumbling to the ground. And when the Constitution is upon the brink of ruin, this people, meaning the Mormons, will be the staff up on which the nation shall lean, and they shall bear the Constitution away from the very verge of of destruction. You can see that these are from the Joseph Smith Collection, LDS Church Historical Department, and when he said it in July of 1840. Apparently tired of being just a prophet, seer, revelator, mayor, bank runner, uh, uh, military uh, leader, Joseph Smith wanted to wrap political control into his list of accomplishments, and he began to parlay a lifelong interest in politics uh, into his own political aspirations in the late 1830s and all the way up until his death. By December of 1843, he found his loyalty to the Whig Party uh, vacillating between it and the Democrats, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, where both parties were kind of thinking he was coming their way with all the Mormons, he departed. Two months later, in February of 1844, Joseph Smith announced his candidacy for President of the United States with his uh, doctrinal guru, Sidney Rigdon, serving as his vice presidential candidate, running mate. Uh, naturally, having absolutely no division between church and state, because there is none within true Mormonism, Smith proceeded to send out his 12 apostles to advertise and campaign for him around the country. One month later, in March of 1844, and in preparation for assuming office, Smith secretly organized what he called the Council of 50, which was nothing more than a political policy-making um, shadow government who worked off these principles Joseph Smith introduced to them called theodemocracy. On this council, uh, uh, excuse me, one of this council's first acts was to ordain Smith as, quote, king of the kingdom of God, end quote. I am not making this up. I am not making it up. Yes, uh, in fact, I would be willing to bet that um, while campaigning for president of the United States today, that the LDS candidate sometime along the path went to an LDS meeting and sang the following words regarding Joseph Smith, who had himself ordained king of the kingdom of God here on earth. I'm sure he sang, hail to the prophet, ascend into heaven, traitors and tyrants now fight, meaning Joseph Smith, him in vain. Mingling with gods, he now plans for his brethren. Death shall not conquer the hero again. And you voted for this guy. 
immediately after being ordained king of the kingdom of God, and as if he had just established his own independent state or nation, Smith had the Council of Fifty send ambassadors to England, France, Russia, and the Republic of Texas on Joseph Smith's own behalf. In April, Smith predicted the entire overthrow of this nation in a few years. That's a quote. His running mate, Sidney Rigdon, said, quote, When God sets up a system of salvation, he sets up a system of government. When I speak of a government, I mean what I say. I mean a government that shall rule over temporal and spiritual affairs. That was spoken from an LDS general conference at the onset of Mormonism's growth. In Smith's mind, as it is in every mind of people who are bent on establishing a theocracy, theology determines governess. Theology determines governess of the people and the country. This is what Smith himself said as recorded in the LDS magazine Times and Seasons. Ready? A man is not an honorable man if he is not above all law and above government. The law of God is far more righteous than the laws of the land. The laws of God are far above the laws of the land. The kingdom of God does not interfere with the laws of the land, but keeps itself by its own laws. Now, that, in some ways, that is a fine quote. But when you, uh, when you attach Mormon theology to that quote, it's very scary. In another statement, Joseph Smith said, as the world is governed too much and there is not a nation or dynasty now occupying the earth with acknowledge, which acknowledges God Almighty as their lawgiver, and as crowns won by blood, by blood must be maintained, I go emphatically, virtuously, and humanely for a theodemocracy, where God and the people hold the power to conduct the affairs of men in righteousness, and where liberty, free trade, and sailors' rights and the protection of life and property shall be maintained inviolate for the benefit of all. Again, not a bad quote for a constitutionalist, but terribly frightening when Joseph Smith had in mind that everybody was going to be subject to LDS laws, LDS theology, LDS doctrines on the ontology, makeup of God, soteriology, etc., in yet another statement, Smith said, I prophesy, I prophesy, in the name of the Lord God of Israel, unless the United States redress the wrongs committed upon the saints in the state of Missouri and punish the crimes committed by her officers in that in a few years the government will be utterly overthrown and wasted and there shall not be so much as a potsherd left. By the way, those wrongs were never uh, overthrown uh, or done. And, and so this is a prophecy that failed. For their wickedness in permitting the murder of men, women, and children and the wholesale plunder and extermination of thousands of her citizens to go unpunished, thereby perpetrating a foul and corroding plot upon the fair fame of this great republic, the very thought of which would have caused the high-minded and patriotic framers of the Constitution of the United States to hide their faces with shame. For decades after the statement was made, Mormons flowed into their temples and they made secret covenants and oaths to avenge the shed blood of Joseph Smith the prophet, 
upon the nation for allowing it to occur. Since Smith, Mormonism, I would suggest, has been involved in as many political activities as it has been in religious, because they are one and the same in an active Latter-day Saints mind. In 1982, moving out to 1982, the LDS Church News stated, ready? Most people in this nation do not understand the origin and destiny of the United States as Latter-day Saints do. How wonderful it would be if all Americans viewed the marvelous country in which we live in the same light as the Latter-day Saints. The Lord created the United States for a specific purpose. He provided freedom of speech, press assembly, and worship. Here, he had determined to restore the gospel. That's Mormonism. And here it would be taken, from here it would be taken abroad. From here during the millennium, listen, from here in the United States during the millennium, Christ will govern the world. Mormonism made itself the new Jerusalem. That Christ will govern the world from here and not from Israel, as the Bible says. In 1983, the church news stated, quote, No man holds divine authority equal to or above the president of the church. In this position, he is preeminent. Let us understand fully the clear identity of the president of the church. He is the mouthpiece of God on earth for us today. So people would say, well, the LDS church is going to have no influence on a Mormon president. Do you want to bet? Did you just read that quote? Do you realize in the temple that more active faithful Mormons, like the one running for office, like the one you voted for today, held his arm to the square and before God, angels, and all witnesses said he swears to build up the Mormon church before anything else and to vote all of his time, talents, energies, and everything that he has been blessed with now and in the future to the building up of Mormonism? That's a covenant he makes with his arm to God? Who do you think he's beholden to? Then step back, and we just go back to Gordon B. Hinckley in 1997, I believe, 1998, with Larry King. And in order to, they, they were working to get this man into office back then. This is what President Hinckley said to try to make you think that Latter-day Saint hierarchy is not involved in politics. He said, the church does not become involved in politics. Oh, God. Uh, we don't favor any candidate. We don't permit our buildings to be used for political purposes. We don't favor any party. Is that, that's just unbelievable that that came from his mouth. 168 years ago, when Joseph Smith Jr. ran for president of the United States, I doubt there was a Bible reading Christian in this country who would have cast a vote his way. Today, tonight, right now is certainly a different story, isn't it? Has the Bible changed? Has this book been altered since that time? No, I, I think it's the same. Has Mormon doctrine changed? No, only one Mormon doctrine has changed since that time. Brigham Young's Adam God doctrine has changed. Oh, I know, I know, there have been a couple of LDS practices that have been altered, but the doctrine has not changed. Blood atonement is for the most part gone, but they still believe that murder is an unforgivable sin and somebody's own blood has to be shed to atone for such a sin. Polygamy as a practice physically here on earth is gone, but you can still practice polygamy spiritually. Even two of the 12 apostles on the earth today are have two wives they are sealed to for the future. 
And sure, black men can now hold the priesthood, but nobody has said that the, that the doctrine was wrong to begin with. And the Book of Mormon still teaches that skin color is indicative of a person's righteousness or not, with the lighter color being righteous and the darker colors needing to grow up spiritually. So no doctrine has truly changed. Certainly, the, the non-biblical ideas of the Mormon priesthood and God and Jesus and salvation, they all remain the same. So how are Christians getting behind a Mormon tonight? How has that happened? What caused it? I'll tell you what caused it. Christianity in America has changed. That's what's done it. I mean, this week, Baptist pastor turned TV whatever, Mike Huckabee, strongly intimated that any Christian voting for anyone other than the current Mormon candidate would face eternal consequences. Vine tying the phrase fiery test and trial to his rhetoric. As though you, if you're really a true Christian, you need to go through this fiery test of your faith and cast your vote in the way that God wants you to. You know, I can't help but wonder what stance Huckabee and Christians of a similar ilk would take if the race tonight and today was between President Obama, Mitt Romney, and a man like Franklin Graham. What if those three were somehow on the ticket? Hmm, I think we could guess what would be said. There would be almost a heavenly chorus voting for Graham because the Christians would have labeled Romney as a cult member and or a tool for Mormonism and somebody you can't trust because of his faith. Let's take this hypothetical step out a little bit further. What attitude would Christians in America have if Romney uh, was running against President Obama and Jesus Christ, who happens to be on the ticket? What would the Christian collective rhetoric be toward Obama and toward Romney? And we focus on Romney because this is a show about Mormonism. You know, uh, I know it sounds ludicrous, but ask yourselves, what would these Baptist pastors and these great American evangelists and all these right-wing conservatives be saying about Romney as a candidate if the Lord was actually on the ticket? Yeah, I'll tell you what they'd say. They'd say the same things they would say if Franklin Graham was on the ticket. They'd say that Romney can't be trusted, that he's not a Christian, that Mormonism is a cult, and the only choice a Christian has would be to vote for Jesus. That's what they would say, right? Do you realize that every one of us today, every single voting Christian made this very same choice today? That today we either cast a vote for Jesus or for our own interests, our own fears. Every single Christian who voted today did that very same thing. One way or another, that's how they voted. Four years, 11 months ago, right here on this program, right about this time on a Tuesday night, we said the following, America cannot elect a Mormon president. Please, this cannot be forgotten, end quote. In the next few days, we'll see if it was forgotten. And if it was, just watch as Mormonism spreads throughout the world, introducing millions to not the true and living God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, but to a fiction. And that's your fault, depending on what you did today. 
Our ability to remain on the air depends on you. We realize it's shrinking rapidly with these types of uh, 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 shows. But, you know, too bad. We've gone through enough. We can't fear. We're going to stick to it. If you are interested in keeping us on the air, uh, please consider the following. We'll come back to the phone calls. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing ride. All glory and honor to him for letting us be a part of it. We have been able to see so many people not just leave Mormonism, but come out into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's worth its weight in gold. Since 2003, Aletheia Ministries has sought to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. In 2006, we aired a first of its kind, a weekly live call-in television program that compares and contrasts biblical Christianity with present-day Mormonism. Uh, we could talk about how they say Jesus was a created being. The Bible says he's the Alpha and the Omega. The Bible says he was not created by anybody. He's uncreated. The Mormon Church says that Jesus Christ suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. But all the references to suffering and to our being Christian is focused on the cross in the Bible. The Mormon Church says that, that you are not righteous because of Christ's life. The Bible says he imputes his righteousness into us as believers. So we're not only cleansed of our sins, we are made righteous by our faith on him. Since that day, Aletheia Ministries has published three book titles, distributing over 20,000 copies all over the United States and world. Baptized hundreds of people, seen thousands come out of Mormonism, tens of thousands refuse attempts of the LDS missionaries, and has equipped literally millions of people with the facts about Mormonism relative to biblical Christianity. And we've only just begun. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just love my country. And I'm a Mormon. I am a Mormon. And I am a Mormon. The year of 2012 has been dubbed the Mormon Moment, as the LDS Church, for the first time in its strange and troubled history, is seeking to have one of its own assume the most powerful and respected position in the world, that of President of the United States. After 40 years of activity in Mormonism, Aletheia founder, television host, author, and non-denominational pastor, Sean McCraney, is able to articulate the positive and negative effect of the Mormon moment. Mormonism brings in a minimum of $16 million a day. They own the internet, uh, and they're very adept at swaying public opinion. We've got to inform people about what Mormonism is truly about. We're in a position to do something to stop it. We have the material. We just need some ability to get that material out to the public. Aletheia Ministries is placed to move its television programs, podcasts, books, and website materials not only into different languages, but into far more invasive distribution channels. 
but we need your help. If the time is right for you, and the inclination has come to you from our King, please consider Alethea Ministries this tax year. This ministry is about love. It is not about antagonism. We use methods to reach people's hearts, to get them to search out these facts for themselves. And, 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 and that's what we're about, and we need your help to do it. I can't think of anything else. Scary times, huh? We're in some really interesting, very interesting, and frankly, scary times, frightening. Uh, but you know what? You know what the solution is? We drop to our knees. We drop to our knees. We go to the Lord. We say, save us, Lord, and save those people who are around us who are, who are beguiled and who are struggling and all these things. Let the Lord use us to his glory. He's in charge, folks. Don't let the fear get to you. Okay, listen, we are going to take a call. We, our calls, our lines are busy, but keep trying. We're going to go with Nancy in Wisconsin. Nancy from Wisconsin, you're on the air. Believable, Sean McCraney. It is great to hear your voice. How are you, sir? Wonderful, and you? I am fine, thank you. Sean, when I met you five years ago, I was a... Uh, you know, staunch Republican, had voted in every presidential election that I could since I was 18. And if you would have told me that there would ever be a day that I would not vote for president, I would have laughed. I would have laughed at you. <laughs> and so as this whole election cycle has given us this LDS candidate, Dave and I have been in prayer a lot. A lot, and, and we've been listening to your challenge, and we've taken it to heart, and we've continued to pray because, of course, I was raised that voting is a right and a responsibility that is a God-given right, and that we take it seriously, and, you know, that, it's, that it is somehow almost sacred. And so um, when you challenged your viewers to think about the unsuspecting around the world that would be duped. It's like an emotional thing to even say it out loud, Sean, because it would be like aiding and abetting in sending people to hell. It really would. If I pulled that, pulled that lever, if I, you know, cast that ballot, I couldn't do it, Sean. And um, anyway, so there you have it. You've changed me. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. That, that's, that's right there, a miracle! Without a miracle, a heart of the matter. Don't say this isn't an age of miracles. If you knew Nancy, you'd know. This is a miracle. Uh, you know, Nancy, I, I love your heart because your heart is for the Lord, 
and you're trusting in him and you're right, you know, it's not easy. I know it's, it's frightening and we want to do something, but I really, uh, I really admire your decision. And for all those of you who have done the same, praise God, let's put our trust and faith in him this time around. Absolutely. And you know what, Sean, for Dave and me, we can look at each other and ourselves in the mirror and have a clean conscience before the Lord to say, we did what we felt. And you know what I love about Christianity is that what's sin to me isn't necessarily sin to you. I mean, I agree. God calls us personally, and he grows us up personally. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. I'm so grateful. I love my friends who, you know, voted today and feel good about it. Whatever. God is, you know, he, he's in charge of them and this whole process. But for me, I wanted to thank you, Sean. You've touched our hearts and really challenged our thinking. And we've got clear conscience before the Lord tonight. Thank Thanks, you. my sister. Love you guys. Love you too. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure in this audience, maybe even behind the cameras, uh, there are people who have voted, and they voted in ways I never would. No problem. you got to understand. My problem is when the body is represented by mouthpieces who say it's our duty to bring a specific candidate into office because it's what God is demanding us to do. And I just have such a problem with that, especially here in 2012 with a Mormon and with Obama on the ticket. Okay, uh, let's go to Cedric and Riverton. Cedric, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. You have to turn your TV down, Cedrico. Okay, it's down. You're on the air, man. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Um, I wanted to uh, say a couple things. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, first I want to tell you about uh, kind of my experience with the LDS. Um, when I was like a little kid, because um, I'm, only, I'm only 15, but like when I was littler, um, I grew up in a Mormon family. All we did was Mormon this, Mormon that. And so I read the Book of Mormon. I started sitting down and reading it, and it was a pretty nice book. And then I started reading the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, and I finished those, and I was like, okay, I'm done with that. So then I started reading the Bible, and then that's where I turned. I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. And now I'm fully out of it, and I've been watching your show for a while now. Wow, praise God, Cedric. Way to go. How's your family responding to that? Um, my sister is still very, very woman, but my mom is now a devout Christian. Wow. Uh, same with uh, my stepdad. So that is tremendous. Like my dad's an atheist, though. So well, you know, in time, in time, your your example. We always tell people, one who come out of a family and go to the Lord, it leads more and more. So you just keep going, Cedric. Treat them with love like Jesus would, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to help. It's going to uh, bring them around, my brother. Okay, and then can I say one more thing? Sure. Um, I, it was kind of a long time ago, but this atheist called into your show, mm -hmm. and he asked um, how to kind of prove God is real. Uh-huh. And you mentioned uh, kind of the biblical response, just look outside, and it kind of proves that. You know what I'm saying? I and, do. Like, if you look at the trees and all that stuff, you know, Nature? kind of. Yeah. Like, um, so I actually, I've been listening to a guy named Ravi Zacharias, the philosopher. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so I kind of want to boil it down on how to prove God. Um, the first step is a physical no matter how you um, single physical reality, 
you're always going to get another physical um, part. You're always going to get another physical minute. Okay. So we need something non-physical to create that physical stuff. All right. Second is um, intelligent design. Um, we come from intelligence, but we got our intelligence from something else. It's like if you went to another planet and saw a McDonald's wrapper or, you know, letters of an alphabet. I mean, it's not like a dictionary came from an exploding printing press. Right. So, um, the third one is intrinsic value. Um, we have this value inside of us that the Big Bang can't explain, and we had to get that from somewhere. And all those three answers um, only lives to God. Only God can answer that. So, Those are excellent, excellent points, Cedric. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your testimony, that information on proving God. God bless you, my brother. Keep going. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Russ and Draper, first-time caller. He's LDS. Russ, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hey, Russ. Hey, I would actually just challenge, um, especially the first uh, little caption that you posted. Which one? The first one that mentioned that uh, a Mormon will come and uh, lead. Okay, uh, that's why we gave the reference to it. Uh, you know, I can't help what the LDS publications put in their book, but this came from the LDS publication, and well, I'm, I'm saying that uh, it seems to uh, maybe come true from a prediction in 1840. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, like Nostradamus uh, predicting the uh, World Trade Center being uh, bombed and things like that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, a lot of what you said seems to be maybe predictions that uh, maybe is coming true. I listen to your show a lot, and it's hard to contradict some of the things you say, but... Uh, what you said tonight seems to point to uh, maybe some of it might be true. So do you believe then what Joseph Smith said in 1840? And remember, Joseph Smith also prophesied in the name of the Lord that, 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 uh, 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 that state would be destroyed unless they uh, gave uh, uh, a remuneration to the saints for how they treated them. Bog state, but it never was. But so you're saying that this quote, uh, that every nation will be on the verge of even even this nation. I, I'm, I could rewind them and see, but I, no, I, no, it's this quote. It's even this nation will be on the very verge of crumbling to pieces and tumbling to the ground when the Constitution is on the brink of this ruin. This people will be the staff upon which this nation shall lean. So you're telling me that that quote is proven true today. I think a lot of people would think so, right? I don't know. I don't believe that this country is, is crumbling to the ground. I don't believe that it's tumbling and crumbling to pieces. And I don't believe the Mormons have done anything to save it. I think God is the one who saves it. See, this is the problem. Mormonism has always been man-centered. And I don't believe for a second that this people are the ones who are going to save this nation. So what you're trying to kind of say is you think this is being fulfilled, I would absolutely, I think in the mind of people who want something to come true like that, you might be able to stretch it and say, look, it's happening. But the LDS have been doing that since the 1960s. They think they're the ones who are saving the nation that were hanging, as it were, by a, a thread, and that the elders of Israel are coming in and saving it. They have used this type of prophecy from the get-go. But what have the LDS done? We have the Secretary of Agriculture, Ezra Taft Benson. Wow. 
You know, I mean, really. Let's look at things really in context. What have the LDS done besides built a magnificent billion dollar mall? We done? I don't know. I understand. I just, I just wanted to point out. I'm just being emphatic. I don't think. I'm just trying to stress to the audience this white, uh, uh, white horse prophecy that gets bannered about that Orson uh, Hatch used when he was running for president a number of years ago. I think the Constitution's hanging very by a thread, and the elders of Israel are going to say, "I think it's so overused and overdone," and I just don't believe any of it. You know, the LDS really want to believe it's true. We have people down in Provo, my friend. They are praying and fasting that Romney is going to not only win the election, but they're saying, get his message out to the world. You know as well as I do what that is doublespeak for. And that is the whole purpose. And I just don't see them being saviors of this constitution. I don't think or Orrin Hatch has been a, a senator, is that what he is, for 37 years. What has he done? Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on, so really step back and look at it. I walk, I look at this country, and yeah, we have our problems, but we are a great country. I, I, you know, we still have a lot that is going for us, and the more we turn to God and Jesus, the, the stronger we're going to be. But I don't see the Mormons leading us to God and Jesus. I see them leading to Joseph Smith's version of God and Jesus. So I have a problem with the whole trying to fit that, that little b belief into the current situation that we're facing. And so there's my thoughts on it, Russ. I really appreciate your call, my friend. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to Patty in Tooele. Patty, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I have a couple of questions for you. Yes. Concerning the city of Enoch. Yes. Um, have you read, I'm sure you read the Justice, Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible in the back of their King James Version. Uh-huh. He talks about the city of Enoch coming out of heaven. Yeah. Okay, it, but the only one I could ever find in our Bible, or the, the real King James Version, is that Cain, isn't it? No, I don't think so. That's a different Enoch. Uh, the city of Enoch is talking, uh, uh, is it the Enoch in the Bible, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was taken up. Joseph made it an entire city that he came from that was taken up. Uh, right, right, and, yeah. that's, and that's what Cain named his son. Uh, he, he named the city after his son. No, they're different Enochs. I'm pretty sure they're different Enochs. Okay. All right, because um, I, I also added up the years and some more writings that he had, and the, the Enoch that we, we're familiar with, the Christians are, he, he was taken up in 365 day, years. Yeah. Well, Joseph Smith's Enoch was taken up in 430. Yeah. You know, um... I don't really put, I, you know, I think I'm getting old. I'm getting so tired of Joseph Smith's shenanigans that I think I'm losing interest. I shouldn't be doing the show anymore. I mean, I just, it's like I hear the facts now and I just want to vomit. So I used to kind of have a passion for all these details, but now it's such a joke to me that I have to really gear up to do it. I'm sorry, your question and your comments are good. And for those who are following that, Fine, but I just don't remember what the difference in dates were and all that stuff. Okay. All right, God bless you. Thank you. Well, I think it's time for a change. <laughs> Something's got to happen here. Uh, um, uh, listen, we're going to go to Lorna in West Jordan in just a second, but really quickly, um, 
Peggy Stack Fletcher, or Peggy Fletcher Stack, the Ellsworth Tuhi of the Intermountain West, wrote an article, and 12 Myths About Mormonism, conveniently came out just a few days before uh, the election, and from caffeine to the Bible to birth control, and what she does is she lists supposedly 12 myths about Mormonism. Now, of the 12, six are true myths, true myths. Now, I, I, don't even, I don't even recognize some of them. Uh, 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 six are half-truths. All right, she calls them myths, they're half-truths, and two are full-blown truths. So this is how they, they do it. They, they mix in this really crazy stuff that Mormons will read, scan through, and they'll go, yeah, what a myth, what a myth, what a myth. Oh, this one, it's a myth too, and it's not, it's true. So that's how the, the machine works. And so let's really quickly go through them. The first one is Mormonism's uh, practice polygamy. She says that's a myth, all right? But then she goes on to explain that they do still uh, practice being sealed to more than one woman that they can have after this life. So where it says Mormons practice polygamy is myth number one, it really isn't a myth. That's a half, that's a half myth, all right? Next one, she says, number two, Mormons are not Christians. She says that is a myth. And the way she justifies it is she says, Jesus Christ is the center of Mormon devotion. Not true. Belief and practice. I believe man is. He is considered the Son of God and the Savior of all humanity, uh, just as he is to every demon and every devil. He is considered the Son of God and the Savior of all humanity. That doesn't mean Jack. You've got to understand, the presence of Jesus Christ in a belief system does not make it Christian. You have to understand that. Jesus Christ is in Islam. They are not Christian. Um, your lack of understanding of the Bible, Peggy Stack Fletcher, Peggy Fletcher Stack, whichever it is, and you're supposed to be the religious editor of the Salt Lake Tribune, is appalling that you think by virtue of them saying that he is the Son of God and Savior of humanity, that that makes them Christian, you see? The next one is Mormons aren't supposed to drink caffeinated beverages. That's a myth. Well, you know, growing up LDS, that was true. So maybe they've changed it now, so we got a half-truth there. Then the next one, Mormons don't dance. Okay, they got a myth on us. They dance. And, uh, okay, and then Mormons all live in Utah. Woo, scary myth, you know. Okay, that's true. Another myth they got, full-blown. Then women, women can't be leaders or speak in the LDS church. You know, that's a half-truth. Up until 1978, did you know that LDS women could not pray in sacrament meeting, their meetings? They weren't allowed to. So there's truth to some of these things she calls myths. So that's a half myth. All Mormons are Republican, number seven. Okay, it's a myth. Fine. Bravo. You, boy, look at the ones that are truly myths. Anybody can figure out that they are. Number eight, the Mormon U.S. president would be a puppet of the LDS prophet. That's a half truth. We don't know that he would, but if he obeys his temple covenants like we talked about earlier, he certainly should be. Or he's lying to God, or he's lying to his nation. We don't know which. So you're wrong on that one. Mormons baptize corse, corpses. All right, they do baptisms for the dead. It's a myth. Ooh, all the myth ones are so juvenile. Uh, at number 10, Mormons can't use birth control. That's a half myth. When Spencer W. Kimball was prophet of the church and I was a kid, he said, there is no reason, we know of no reason for a married couple to have sexual relations except to have children. And birth control was forbidden for quite a long time in Mormonism. So that's a half-truth, Peggy Fletcher Stack, Mitch Flack Stetcher. And Mormons get naked in the temple is number 11. She says that's a myth. That's a half-myth because you're naked half the time in the temple. 
That's what happened. You know what you do? You take off all your clothes. You put on this sheet that has a hole cut out in it for your head. And it takes out, but there's no sides. It's like, it's worse than a doctor's gown. And you go in there, and you don't know this is going to happen. And you're walking around, you know, like a freshman first time in gym class. <laughs> and then you go in, and they start touching you under this gown. So don't say you don't get naked in the temple. You do. The way you put that, you know, that, okay, you don't, not everyone's walking around naked like it's a temple orgy, but you certainly do get naked in there, and you barely are covered by those things. That's the way it was when I went through it. Maybe you've changed it since then. And finally, the one that's a full-blown lie, Mormons don't believe in the Bible. She says that's a myth. That's not a myth. That's absolutely true. And she says they use it in their classroom discussions, and they quote it. So what? They also besmirch it. They do not use it and study it. And so Peggy Fletcher Stack, Fletcher Stack, Fletcher hyphen, liberal woman, lesbian, wants to be out of the closet but can't. Oop, I don't know about that. Sorry, I know you're probably married. But whatever you are, according to opinion, why don't you get your facts straight, religious editor of the Salt Lake Trib, and stop playing both sides of the, of the game. All right, so let's go to the last caller, Lorna on line three. Lorna, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hello. First of all, um, for all the Mormons that are out there, I would like to say, you know, what the world is Mitt Romney ca uh, campaigning on Sunday? Well, I, I'm sure that he has to have his meals prepared, and they're paying somebody for that. My mother is a Democrat, and she is voting for Mitt Romney only because he is a Mormon. Wow. And all of our neighbors in our neighborhood is voting because he is a Mormon. Sorry. Um, another thing is Mitt Romney uh, claimed he was a pastor oh, yeah. of his congregation. Oh, gosh. That's what a pastor usually has to go to school for four years. You know what? When I, my whole family is Mormon. I'm not anymore. And my sister says, well, he had to say that because they wouldn't know what a bishop was. Well, get on the Internet, get on the Internet, and, and, and look at it. You know, Paul Ryan, I was told as a young girl growing up as a Mormon that the Catholic Church was the church of the devil. Yeah. And I will never, ever forget that, Sean, oh. ever. Well, I was taught that, too. Book of Mormon taught that. Bruce McConkie taught it plainly. Church of the Devil, the whore of Babylon, the whole thing. Yes. You know, it, it's all kind of a sign of our times. Lorna, we're out of time. Thank you for your insights. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Okay, bye. You know how she talked about how he's campaigning on Sunday? Let me tell you something. When you're in the hierarchy of the Mormon church, the rules don't apply to you. They don't apply to you. They only apply to the low-level grunts who are in the trenches. They're the ones they apply to. When you move up, you have leeway. You, need, you can do what you need to do for the kingdom of God. Case in point, like Donny Osmond. Didn't go on a full-time mission, was going to. He wanted to. I think his heart said, I want to. But they said, you don't need to, Donnie. Your mission is what you do here, you know, in singing to the world. And so they make exceptions in the higher-ups the way all elitist groups do. The higher-ups will always uh, do stuff uh, to benefit themselves and their families. And Romney campaigning on Sunday, you know, if somebody was doing that, it's just like uh, Marriott. Marriott can serve alcohol and porn at 
I want to say ad nauseum, but Namelka used that on here, and I'm not going to use ad nauseum. Uh, but he can do all that stuff because he's Marriott, and he built a Marriott Center at BYU. But you get Joe Schmo in a ward who opens a bar or a porn store, and they're going to excommunicate him just like that. That's how this evil beast works. Listen. Next week, let's get back to some normalcy. Whoever's in office, we'll support, we're gonna pray for, because they'll be our president that God has put over us, and we'll go from there. Uh, but we'll get back to the stuff about Jesus, salvation, and you knowing him through spiritual rebirth. Until that time, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.